is the bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. This project is made possible by the Tau Knight Center for News Integrity at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. I am a graduate of that program, not a student, and if you don't know me, I have a long history covering and researching the far right, specifically a hate group known as the Proud Boys. Now, this is a very special bonus episode. What happened on Tuesday is I captured the entire broadcast on Fox News of the election, of how they covered the midterm elections, which was about eight and a half to nine hours. I'm not sure because the last hour got a little screwed up on my end. I was a little delirious. Uh, screen capture software is notoriously wonky, um, and I had some issues at the very end. I, I did it in sections. You have to, or, or, or um, the type of screen capture I use, which is called Snagit, can't really handle a super long um, capture, and they, it basically crashes. So you have to keep an eye on it, and like every hour and a half, two hours, you have to stop and start over. So um, something got weird at the end, so I'm not exactly sure when this thing ended. Um, I also captured PBS and I did compare them the same amount of time per PBS had a much shorter broadcast, but I, I did equal amounts of time kind of in the middle for both of them and compared words that comes at the very end of this. Um, and that's what I did. And I, I, at the time I did it, I didn't think I'd watch all of it. And then I had a vision cut it up into one hour segments and said, let's go for it. Let's do this. Cause I figured no one else would do it. No one else would be that nuts. And I built a Twitter thread for my Twitter account from it, which is, um, I broke it down into eight tweets and that's done extraordinarily well. It's at over 126,000 views on Twitter, despite Twitter kind of being bizarro right now and people fleeing the platform. Um, so this is the podcast version of the same material and a podcast is always a little different. I had to cut some of these clips down because what works in video doesn't always work in audio. It's usually shorter in audio. You want shorter, clearer, uh, because the audience can't see it. And so it pulls away a little bit from the material. Um, and I also just want to stress before I start this, because I think this is going to have a lot of viewers and listeners this is a micro budget um program project that is funded indirectly through university even though i am a graduate uh so if you can help out anything that you do, do donate or sponsor through patreon goes right back into the project i haven't even cashed out patreon yet because i'm saving up for much better audio software i'm very close to that goal um, the Patreon's for decoding Fox News. The tip thing is at the very top of my Twitter. It's a little dollar sign. It's by my face. That goes directly to one of my payment processors. Um, it would be greatly appreciated. And I also want to say very quickly, this project is sponsored on a grant that ends in February. So uh, myself and the people who helped get me the grant would love to see decoding Fox News live on. We're not sure how. Yet, there have been some possibilities. A couple have fallen through. We're still looking for a future home. It may not be the same exact project. It might be smaller. It could be bigger. Who knows? Uh, 
but since some people I know work in the media listen to this podcast, if anybody has an idea, please share. Um, I'm not incredibly savvy in that regard. I just know how to make media. I know how to get an audience and I know how to build up a project from nothing with, I will add, no editor and no boss, no one telling me what to do. So I come up with my own ideas. I keep pushing it. All these bonus episodes were my idea. No one tells me what to do, uh, which is good and bad. And an editor would be nice sometimes just to keep me from making mistakes. I noticed last week I accidentally called Brian Kemp, Jack Kemp. And that's because there was another politician named Jack Kemp. And for some dumb reason, I keep thinking they're the same person when they are not. Brian Kemp is the governor of Georgia, uh, the slow talking governor of Georgia. I say that because he does talk incredibly slowly. Um, and as a New Yorker, I'm like, whoa, speed it up. Anyway, and yes, Southern accents are very fun for me to do because I'm from Missouri. People in the southern part of that state say Missouri. People, if you live in a major city, you say Missouri. Both are considered acceptable. I don't understand it either. But I can get my voice into this place real easy. Real easy, let me tell you. But anyway, we're going to get out of that. It's me being my goofy um, voices. I do voices. If you've never listened to this podcast, I imitate people. Very quickly before we start, too, I just want to do this one. Because she's my favorite person right now to imitate, which is... Carrie Lake. My sister says I sound like a Broadway star, but it's something about the completely manufactured way in which she speaks that I find creepy. And I also think Carrie Lake's about to destroy an entire chest of China with her voice alone just by saying, hello, all of the glasses would fall off and dishes would crumble and disintegrate into little tiny shards. Carrie Lake. Anyway, so here we go. No more voices. We'll get to the work. The Fox News midterm meltdown. An overview of the entire midterm election night broadcast on Fox News. It's ironic that the most popular cable news channel in the United States still has the gall to call itself fair and balanced. The phrase only makes sense if by fair they mean the Republican Party is glorious and amazing and by balanced, they imply the Democratic Party is full of communists intent on destroying America. As results came in and it became clearer that the Great Red Wave wasn't materializing, the various Fox News personalities and the experts they invited openly lamented the state of the nation and their beloved Republican Party. Several pundits and strategists criticized former President Donald J. Trump, the bombastic former television host and real estate mogul who still insists he won the last election, despite no evidence that backs his absurd claims. The same man who sat in the White House dining room watching Fox News as the U.S. Capitol was ransacked by an angry mob. Fox News defended everything and anything Donald J. Trump did or said. Even if an occasional host or guest made a somewhat critical remark about him or his administration, the network would ultimately make amends with the would-be tyrant. On Tuesday night, however, things were different. As candidates Trump handpicked and endorsed failed to win their elections, Fox News finally started to turn on him. At first, the remarks were mild, but by the end of the night, even his closest advisors were passionately blaming him for this fiasco. Fox News could handle 
the possibility that Trump stole classified documents and sold them to a hostile foreign power, but the prospect of two more years of Majority Leader Senator Chuck Schumer was just too much. While his biggest rival, Governor Ron DeSantis, had remarkable gains in Florida, many of Trump's hand-picked protégés failed miserably. The time had come for a shift in focus. This could finally be the end of the dominance of a madman who lost the popular vote twice, was impeached twice, cost his party the House, the Senate, and the presidency, fomented a riot on our nation's capital, and nearly got his vice president murdered. The following is an hour-by-hour breakdown of how Fox News covered the midterm elections. Instead of giving you my analysis of the night's events, I decided to let the pundits, personalities, and journalists speak for themselves. What follows is almost entirely quotes pulled directly from the broadcast. The partisan bias wasn't even remotely subtle. This was full-on cheerleading for the GOP. The Fox News panel. Now, the panel got much larger, but this is the core group that started the evening and kind of stayed behind that desk for most of it. Brett Baer, co-chief anchor, he is at Fox News, of course. Martha McCallum was the other co-chief anchor of Fox News. Dana Perino, Fox News. Brett Hume, Fox News. Juan Williams, a liberal voice on Fox News. Shannon Bream, Fox News. Trey Gowdy, Fox News and former U.S. representative. And Bill Hemmer, Fox News. Hemmer worked the electoral map the entire evening. Now, nearly two other journalists, pundits, and Fox News personalities would join the panel throughout the broadcast. Due to space and time, I'm only including the names of anyone I quoted. It just, it was a cavalry. It was every single person that they could think of who worked for Fox News, except for, of course, Hannity, which was a little, little obvious that he was not there, but I guess he gets paid too much money. He just doesn't care. So hour one. From 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is going to be a great night. The tone started off jubilant and optimistic. Traditionally, the party in power loses seats in a midterm election. The recipe for success seems certain. President Biden wasn't popular. Inflation and gas prices remained high. And voters were fed up with Democrats and their woke agenda. A massive red wave and majorities in both houses of Congress seemed certain. Dana Perino set the tone. It was very interesting to be sitting with my colleagues of the five, as I'm sure it is for you in many ways to think about how this midterm cycle has really been going on for since January 20th of 2021. And the, the history repeats itself. Midterms are usually won by the opposing party from the president. I think one of the most interesting things tonight is to watch this Fox News voter analysis. This Washington and many of the states across the country are going to have a lot of changes when they wake up tomorrow or by the end of the week when we have final results. And some, a lot of what informs their decisions going forward on how to govern the country, what the people are asking for, if government is responsive to the people, it will have to really take a listen to what people are saying in that Fox News voter analysis. It's very interesting to Fox know. News stalwart Britt Hume seemingly forecast the simmering conflict that would be brought up repeatedly throughout the night. We've got this brewing competition now between Mr. Trump and Governor DeSantis, which has been, you know, obvious in the last couple of days, big, if it's a big, big night for DeSantis and his running mates in Florida, Mm -hmm. uh, that would sharpen that competition a bit, give Mr. Trump something to think about. Yes, it would. 
and it's we're going to focus on 2022. <laughs> but you're right. But that that is that's that a is story something. to watch. There's no doubt it's about it. We got a long time. It's out we there. Brett's got, got a twinkle in his journalist he eye does. right there. <laughs> Coming up, Lauren. Sounds like they're laughing at the end of one of those like corny scenes in a sitcom. They're like, ha 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 ha. You cut up Brett Hume. You actually think there might be a little tension between Ron DeSantis and former President Donald J. Trump. Little did they know. Okay. Hour two, Jesse Waters makes it all about himself from 7 to 8 p.m. I joked on John Fugelsang's uh, radio show on Sirius XM, who was dumber on Fox News? Who's the dumbest anchor on Fox News? Is it Jesse Waters or Brian Kilmeade? That's a tough one. Um, he, uh, Fugelsang thought it was Waters Waters is profoundly just, wow, that he's eyebrows and hair, eyebrows and hair. I don't even know. Like, it's interesting. I'm just briefly tangent. When the primetime shows are on, Tucker Carlson will always punt the next show to Hannity. Like, at the end of a show, he greets Hannity on screen, and they laugh, and they joke around. When Hannity sends his show over to Laura Ingram, the same happens. There's camaraderie. They're friendly. No one does this with Jesse Waters. And I think there's a reason. Um, I think this clip speaks for itself. It's profoundly dumb. It's just, wow. Are you bringing anything to the table other than eyebrows and hair? If you don't know Jesse Waters, he has very thick eyebrows and a full head of glorious, glossy hair with a lot of product in it. So eyebrows and hair, eyebrows and hair. Here we go. Uh, thank you. What do you think this election? Then? Well, all I have are anecdotes and they're positive anecdotes. And I saw Miami Dade go red. And that's a pretty big deal. I think that's a pretty big deal. So I'm still hearing positive things about Republican turnout there. And I'm hearing very positive anecdotes from Nevada. Am I saying that correctly, Mr. Rove, Nevada? I think I am. Yes. So I had predicted on the five, and on Jesse Waters' primetime, 53, maybe 54 if Republicans get New Hampshire. Uh, but the anecdotes that I'm seeing uh, and, and the early data shows me that we're looking at 53, possible 54 in the Senate, and maybe get up to as high as 240-plus House seats. Do it's going to be a powerful wave election, and it's just based on the economy and crime. It just it goes across every demographic. It's not like you're running on the Trump tax cuts or you're running on Obamacare. And then I think tomorrow the president's going to have to say something. He's going to have to come to the cameras and admit maybe something went wrong. And we'll see if he can own up to it. I was recognized a few times in my deep blue Manhattan polling precinct, so I consider that an also positive anecdote. So other than his overuse of the word anecdote, uh, Waters brought absolutely nothing to the discussion. It's like, okay, you didn't even cite a poll or anything. Just, I've heard some anecdotes. Now this next is Trey Gowdy, who's a former congressperson who it now works for Fox News. But... Um. I will defend Joe Biden. Uh, there's some talk that he's not going to give a statement tomorrow. I actually got a copy of his statement already. <laughs> I exercise my right to remain silent under the Fifth <laughs> Amendment because there is no good explanation. <laughs> oh, they're laughing. <laughs> Little 
do they know? Okay, next up, hour three, Tucker Carlson, a.k.a. Slacks McGee, makes an appearance. And, of course, he goes to the horrible places that only Tucker Carlson would go. So what you're looking at is a realignment of voters. And I really think we're undervaluing the extent to which BLM, the Democratic Party going all in for the Black Lives Matter movement, in the summer of 2020 really moved Hispanic voters to the Republican side. I think it shows up in polling results. Nobody wants to say it, but it's absolutely a meaningful factor, I would say, in this. But, I mean, if tomorrow morning we wake up and these numbers in Miami-Dade and Texas are real and possibly in Arizona, then I think you're looking at, at really a different Democratic coalition. So other than being racist, Carlson also thought it was a good idea to make a few critical remarks about Dominion Voting Systems, the company currently suing Fox News for defamation. And what happened today in Maricopa County, where some huge percentage of voting machines, electronic voting machines, according to the Arizona Republic, 30%, they, they claim these are Dominion voting machines, but it, it almost doesn't matter. Electronic voting machines didn't allow people to vote, apparently. And that, whatever you think of it, the cause of it, it shakes people's faith in the system. That is an actual threat to democracy. So McCallum then asked Carlson to expound a bit on what he meant by Democrats having a different coalition. And it, it's really a hopeful outcome, I would say. And I'm not saying that as a partisan. I'm saying it because you don't want a country where it's white men against everybody else. And that really was the dream of the Democratic Party. That's the politics they hope to create. Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing is instead NPR listeners versus everyone else, right? So you're, in the end, you're going to have a Democratic coalition that's only people with pledge drive tote bags mm -hmm. versus the whole country. And they're not going to win. There's that laughter again. Little did they know. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. Hour four. The panel starts to turn on Trump. This is from 9 to 10 p.m. As the vote totals and the electoral map don't show the numbers anyone had hoped for, Britt Hume shifted his focus to the person who had promoted most of the senatorial candidates who were now underperforming. Advance was one of the one of the candidates who had criticized McConnell. Right. And McConnell weighs in with PAC money that he rounds up to try to save his candidacy. Right. In the exactly. meantime, a certain other person we can talk about uh, who raised a ton of money uh, spent very damn little of it to support the candidates that he yeah. endorsed. There yeah. were a lot of outside groups right. that pumped money into Ohio to help uh, mm -hmm. J.D. Vance at the beginning when he took Yeah, well, uh, Peter Thiel put, uh, I think, $15 million into a super PAC to get him elected and then hasn't been seen in the general election. I, I think I think Brit, Britt's point is an ac accurate one. Mm -hmm. Let, let's see where the $100 million that President Trump has in his war chest uh, after the election. You know, think about how it could have been deployed. Yeah, the last voice you heard was Karl Rove. Karl Rove is uh, best known for working with George W. Bush, um, which is interesting that he's on Fox because Fox is not always kind to George W. Bush. But I guess, you know, paycheck is a paycheck. Um, and the voice that you heard kind of talking over him a little bit there at the very end was Martha McCallum. One of the challenges of putting this together is due to the nature of a panel and an election night and everybody so worked up is there's a lot of over talk. And that's tricky to both transcribe and to edit out as best I can. So you will hear some of that throughout the rest of this podcast. I did my best, um, but I can't, you know, if the original audio is two people talking over each other. There's nothing I can do about it. So uh, hour five, I would best describe as denial 
Florida. Think of Florida. This is from 10 to 11 p.m. Longtime Fox News host Laura Ingram joined the panel mostly to praise the state of Florida and her favorite governor, Ron DeSantis. And Laura Ingram adores Ron DeSantis. She's done entire episodes kind of dedicated to her favorite governor. Here we go. Hey. Florida is still the model for the country, I think. Yeah. The, uh, the coalition of new voters, younger voters, Latino voters. We'll see where uh, you know, African-American voters turn out in Miami-Dade when it's really broken down. But this was a tour de force performance by Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio. And to me, that is the great light for the Republican Party. And so Fox business host Larry Kudlow also remained confident. They returns. I, which I still believe is a two-house sweep by the GOP, will amount to a repudiation of all the big government socialism undertaken by President Biden. And he will have to listen to those election returns. It may not be easy. My colleagues are correct on that. But I think at some point, he's going to have to turn. You can't violate the will of the voters the whole time. And if that is the case, if we can unlock the oil and gas industry again, if we can cut back on the spending, by the way, make the Trump tax cuts permanent, it'll take the pressure off the Federal Reserve's tightening, and you may have a much better outlook for the economy and the stock market in those circumstances. Okay, it always cracks me up when pundits and anchors on Fox News call President Joe Biden a socialist. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing about uh, Biden's policies or his administration that would equate to the government owning the means of production. That's the actual definition of socialism. Absolutely nothing. Uh, President Biden is a moderate at best. So uh, the next hour, hour six Panic starts to set in. This is from 11 p.m. to midnight. Harold Ford Jr., a former congressman and a moderate voice on The Five, was one of the first to openly declare that things were not looking good for the GOP. Republicans have to be a little disappointed. They're going to likely win the House, but we, we talked about earlier. Pretty uh, sure, Harold. But New Hampshire, right, I know, but, but, but let's, let's just still the facts here. New Hampshire's gone Democrat. Pennsylvania doesn't look great. This thing could come down to Georgia, and we now got to wait for out west. So this next voice you're going to hear is Mark Thiessen, former speechwriter for President George W. Bush. He criticized former President Donald J. Trump without saying his name outright, although Things will get more dramatic later in the broadcast. So in Pennsylvania, Fetterman is looking good that we don't know. Wisconsin is tighter than we thought. North Carolina is tight. Ohio, J.D. Vance seems to be pulling away. That's because Mitch McConnell spent $32 million trying to save a seat in Ohio that Rob Portman won by 20 points. That is all Republican territory, currently held Republican territory. So in order to have the status quo ante, they have to run the table and win all four of those, of those races. If they lose one of them, like in Pennsylvania, that means they have to pick one up in Nevada, Arizona, uh, Georgia. New Hampshire now is off the table. Washington State in order to keep a 50-50 Senate. So there, there's a huge opportunity cost because we spent $32 million to save that seat in Ohio. That is money that could have been spent in Arizona. That's money that could have been spent in New Hampshire. That's money that could have been spent in Washington State to try and help Tiffany Smiley with an upset. So there's a huge opportunity cost in picking these candidates who were running far behind the governors in their states, who are running by you know anywhere from 8 to 20 points. Um, and and because we had to spend that money, we're now looking at a possibility of an, keeping either a 50-50 Senate or maybe just barely missing or losing a seat. I mean, this is a 
This is a it's a it's a lesson that the Republican Party is going to have to look at how this finally shapes out. Hey, Bill. Then Democratic pollster Mark Penn finally just came out and called out the former president. Well, I think so far it's a shift to the Republicans, but not a wave. I think the House gets a clear rebuke for overspending, inflation, and the economy. But I also think that on the Senate, the particularly the Trump candidates are struggling. And I, I, to me, this looked like Florida was an, a real wave for the Republicans, an affirmation of DeSantis as a potential Republican presidential candidate. And I think this puts Donald Trump in a very difficult position. So that was really the first stab at the former president, directly called out by name in not a very flattering way. It's only going to get worse. So this is what I call the infighting starts from midnight to 1 a.m., hour 7. It's going to begin with Guy Benson, a Fox News correspondent in Washington, D.C., who added his insight. To give a little bit of context, when he, they talk about Virginia too, um, there were three congressional districts in Virginia that were supposed to be bellwethers for how the rest of the country would go. And at the beginning of the night, these keep getting mentioned. I've edited a lot of it out because it, if you don't see the full nine hours, it's confusing. So I'm just going to briefly explain this. So these three Virginia House districts, if they go Republican, that was supposed to be a great sign. They got one of them. So that's not a great sign. So he mentions it a little bit in this clip. This is Guy Benson. Yeah, Virginia, too, is a majority maker type district for Republicans. Seven and 10 would have been wave makers and tsunami makers, respectively. But it looks like the Democrats have held on to both of those districts. It's looking so, like a dogfight. Mm -hmm. If there is a national wave building for the Republicans, it hasn't oh. quite materialized yet. It might do so later into the evening. But, you know, a big blowout red wave early on, it's not happening. OK, now things really get dramatic as there's a tussle of sorts between Kellyanne Conway, the former senior counsel to President Trump, and Juan Williams, a left-leaning political analyst. I just don't see Kevin McCarthy as Nancy Pelosi. And I think Chad Pergram uh, Neither up do I. I. I just, I <laughs> yeah, just don't no, see that, that we happening. Agree. I just don't see it. He's not going to spend money that. Yeah, he's, he's not going to. He's not. You know, You're the right. prowess, the ability to get something done with a narrow margin, I think, is much more difficult. I think that's why we went through Paul Ryan, John Boehner, and others in trying to do that with the Republican caucus, and it's just it's proven very difficult. So, it's so then Brett Hume offered his insight. What's he going to be able to do anyway? I mean, he's got if they, yeah. if they only win one house. Nobody's going to be able to do much of anything. You're going to be able to block Everybody. things. No, no, so, you know, <laughs> That's a problem for Joe Biden, though. That's mainly a problem, a problem yes, for Joe is. Biden. I mean, he's going to become irrelevant almost immediately, and there's going to be a reckoning in his party as to whether they can even have him run for re-election. He wants to. Why not? Mine, no, but wait mine, a second. How is he irrelevant? Wait a minute. He got his lot of his legislative agenda done in the first two years. He's Democratic going to, if, if the Senate holds, let's say it's a 50-50, he still gets the judges. He still gets to make an effort in terms of countering efforts, a lot of them coming from Freedom Caucus people, to stop aid to the Ukraine. This is a, this is a bigger fight. Yeah. Okay, so this last hour is what I've simply labeled acceptance. The night 
is a disaster. And again, I'm not sure exactly on the time frame here because I had a technical problem on my end. It was this, the whole broadcast ended at 1.30 a.m. or 2 a.m. I'm not sure. Um, but it was late and everybody was fried. And again, they had people coming in and off the studio. But this main core group, the voices that you're still hearing, stayed there the entire time. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of commercial breaks. The commercial breaks were normally they're like about four, four and a half minutes on Fox because I think they were so terrified they were going to miss something. Most of the commercial breaks were two minutes and um, they would go 50 minutes without a commercial. This was epic, epic television. And they started to crack. And you really hear it in this last hour. Um, the first quote I'm going to play you was not included on the Twitter thread. I had to cut it for space uh, because on Twitter, everything has to be two minutes and 20 seconds maximum. And it gets tricky when you put multiple clips together. But this is worth it. Um, I just found this so humorous because it's it's basically Kellyanne Conway. The facade has fallen off. Knives out. She goes straight for the heart of one of the uh, Trump picks, which is ironic considering who she used to work for. Here you go. Ahead of that, I just want to say... Um, that the worst endorsement, really the, probably the worst candidate for the Republicans that's hurting the Senate candidate this time is Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Yeah. He lost so miserably to mm -hmm. Josh Shapiro, who almost all but stopped campaigning. Why would he anymore when Mastriano became the nominee? So by tearing down Mastriano, Conway was subtly criticizing her former boss, Donald J. Trump, as Mastriano was a Trump pick. So Karl Rove start lamenting about polling. Polling is broken. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. There was a, but we had a golden era of, of polling when we all had landlines and we answered them now. Mm -hmm. Anybody here got a landline you answer? I, I got no. one because when you ring my doorbell, my phone rings. So Mark Thiessen summed up his complete frustration. But that's the only I think time it I might have or maybe it wouldn't have. I mean, I think there's a broader issue here, which mm -hmm. is that. So think about this. We have the worst inflation in four decades. The worst collapse in real wages in 40 years. The worst crime wave since the 1990s. The worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. That is a searing indictment of the message that we have been sending to the voters. They looked at all of that and said, and looked at the Republican alternative and said, no thanks. That is, that is a the Republican Party needs to do a really deep introspection look in the mirror right now because this is this is an absolute disaster. And Karl Rove also kind of added to just the futility of the entire evening. Interesting. Just wanted to add that Karl Rove and Mark Thiessen were both George W. Bush people, um, and Trump has been very vicious towards the entire Bush family. So here we go. One the of the supreme ironies is, is that if you add up the number of seats in which Republicans are now leading in the rest of the country that have not yet been called by somebody, it gets you to about 222, which is exactly what the Democrats have today. So, so we're four likely, seat majority. A five seat majority. Five seat majority. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we're we're likely to find ourselves in a place where uh, we are governing the House narrowly from the Republican side, just like the Democrats have. The difference is, is we're not going to be out there trying to transform America by passing legislation that can be signed by the president of the United States. And this next voice is Ben Dominic, the editor and founder of the conservative publication, The Federalist. 
He also made some not-so-subtle digs at the former president. Also want to point out, because everybody was joking about this on Twitter, Ben is married to Meghan McCain, the daughter of the late Senator John McCain. So again, these are sort of the older school, old school Republican voices here. Um, of, of course, Trump had a very contentious relationship with John McCain, who was a far more moderate Republican. Two concepts. I think voters want a more populist conservative agenda, as Kellyanne indicated. But I also think that they're tired of chaos. I think that they want normalcy. And I think that a lot of these candidates seemed more chaotic than normal. And I think that hurt Republicans in a major way all across the country. So we started with Dana Prino and we end with Dana Prino. And I just got a kick out of this statement because she <laughs> seems so reasonable. And she's talking from a propagandist network that literally describes people as monsters and demons. I'm not even kidding. All right, so I would just hope everyone has a little bit of grace, understanding, and maybe just look and try to read a little bit more into these results to see what people are really thinking, because America does feel like there is no order. Okay, so again, beginning with Dana Perino, ending with Dana Perino, she asks for grace and understanding, which is hilarious coming from the network that demonizes entire groups of people, especially migrants, trans people, um drag queens, you name it. They just, they can't stop. Uh, you're single women, apparently. Jesse Waters thinks single women should all get married, so it'll be nice Republican women. Oh, my goodness. And then Tucker Carlson basically implying that Black Lives Matter uh, caused resentment among the Latino population, and they all voted Republican, and then saying that Democrats are against white men. Just stop. Fox, you're just, Fox constantly spreads hate, paranoia, fear, and now they're asking for grace and understanding. Just save it. Now, every week I always compare Fox News to PBS because PBS is nonpartisan straight down the middle. I've done the same for the January 6th committee hearings coverage. And so I thought, you know, let's do it for the midterm election coverage as well. Um, so I did watch the entire broadcast. It started at 8 p.m., ended at around 12.30 a.m., the panel on PBS was Judy Woodruff of PBS NewsHour, Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report, David Brooks of the New York Times, Faziz Shakir, Democratic strategist who worked for Bernie Sanders, Mark Short, former chief of staff for Vice President Pence, uh, Perry Bacon Jr. of the Washington Post, Gary Abernathy of the a freelance columnist. They also used the usual... Um, PBS correspondents for the board and for in various locations all over the country. But that was the panel. What I just described was the panel. So there's nothing extraordinary about the PBS coverage. The panel representative voices and opinions from both sides of the political spectrum. Abernathy repeatedly evoked Ronald Reagan in favorable terms. Mark Short defended the Trump administration multiple times. There were a few animated conversations between Shakir, the Bernie Sanders uh, supporter, and conservative members of the panel. No journalist representative PBS showed any deference or favoritism towards candidates of either party. PBS also had correspondence in both Republican and Democratic campaigns. If a Republican won a seat, there was no visible disappointment on the faces or in the remarks of anyone working for PBS. At the same time, there were no cheers when a Democrat won a particular race. Throughout the entire five-hour broadcast, the journalist at PBS remained neutral. And I want to point this out 
because it shows that there's a way to do this other than how Fox does it. PBS is always straight down the middle. PBS does not show partisan bias. I will defend uh, public broadcasting forever because I've seen hours upon hours upon hours of PBS uh, NewsHour and they are straight down the middle. So um, they even addressed the problems with the tabulation machines in Maricopa County. Um, they sent correspondent Stephanie Sai. She was reporting directly from a polling center in Arizona. This is the only clip from PBS I'm going to play. I thought it was good to address this because they were addressing sort of the partisan take on this and the extremist right wing take on what happened in Maricopa um, County. And so they had to send out technicians and reset the printers, and about half of those are, were corrected by the end of the night. But it has led to a great deal of misinformation, including, including by elected officials um, and former President Trump, who suggested that these problems mostly occurred in more conservative-leaning voter areas. And I can at least debunk that right now and say that at least a couple of um, these problems problems with tabulation machines occurred right in downtown Phoenix, which tends to be a Democratic uh, stronghold. We will start to get results uh, within the hour, and that will be the initial results from the early ballots that were cast before November 5th. There are a lot of those ballots. There are more than a million and a half of early ballots. Uh, we will see that first tranche of results within the hour. So I thought that was great that PBS addressed it, debunked it, and just kept moving. And you can tell by the way that was all phrased and written there's no bias she's not saying rah rah democrats like fox news does not hide their bias they openly cheered on republicans they were defeated and depressed and lamented the state of the republican party as the republicans started to lose so it just again as always pbs made fox news look like propaganda so now the fox broadcast was much longer than the pbs program to compare the two, I compiled transcripts starting at 8 p.m., which is when PBS started. So I lined up Fox and PBS at 8 p.m. And then I went to the full length of PBS, which is about 260 minutes. So I turned Fox News, 260 minutes roughly, PBS roughly 260 minutes, turned those into transcripts. And then I went through my favorite part, which is comparing word usage. I broke this down. You can see this on the newsletter. The newsletter is on my Substack, same name, Decoding Fox News Substack. Um, I broke this down, if you want to see the visuals, into three different graphs because the numbers were varied so wildly. And if they were all on one graph, you couldn't really see any of the smaller numbers. They just kind of disappeared in the graph. So the first graph was Republican, was the first word. They were about the same. Fox 277, PBS 309. Democrat, however, huge difference. Fox used that term 197 times. Um, PBS said it 288. So I like to do the words because it's very naked. You can't hide. And this is, again, casual banter between panel members and people saying official things. So it kind of shows you where their bias is a little bit. Florida. Fox mentioned it 91 times, PBS only 47. Trump, again, another inverse. Fox said, in, said the word 53 times. People on PBS said it 94 times. Same with Biden. Biden mentioned 48 times on Fox, 77 times on PBS. 
Fetterman was about the same. New York was mentioned 37 times on Fox, only 14 times on PBS, because Fox is really trying to make a lot out of the governor, uh, governor's race in, in New York, which ended up not being nearly as close as they, they thought it would be. DeSantis was about equal on both networks. Now, the next group um, was polls were mentioned far more often on PBS. Crime was mentioned far more often on Fox. Economy was mentioned far more often on Fox. Inflation, weirdly mentioned more on PBS, less on Fox. The border was mentioned twice as many times on Fox, 16 times than it was on PBS. COVID was equal. Suburbs and suburban mentioned 13 times on Fox, only five times on PBS. Now, this is where we get into some really small numbers. This is why they have a separate graph. Democracy, 16 times on PBS, 12 on Fox. Red Wave, equally, that one freaked me out, equally, nine times, perfectly the same, Fox and PBS. Another very telling one, abortion. You can kind of guess on this one. Fox mentioned the word eight times. PBS mentioned it 37 times. That was shocking. January 6th, here's another one that was huge, huge difference. Fox mentioned January 6th six times. Uh, PBS mentioned it five over five times as much. 33 times. Latino was mentioned six times on Fox. 11 times on PBS. AOC, I always guess for AOC because it's kind of a joke. Hilariously, uh, PBS mentioned AOC twice. Fox only mentioned her once. The black vote, just the phrase black vote. I checked for a few variations on this. Black vote, black voters. Um, only black vote showed up, and it was once only on PBS and Fox News. Um, I think they still, that group, that demographic still pretty much uh, votes primarily uh, predominantly as Democrats. So I don't think that that was really much of an issue. It didn't get brought up much. Immigration uh, was mentioned once on Fox, mentioned zero times on PBS. And here's another phrase. I tried a bunch of different variations on this. The only thing that showed up was election denial. The phrase election denial was mentioned eight times on PBS, zero times on Fox News. So that's the end of the podcast. I am exhausted. I <laughs> am probably going to go to my local shop right here in the middle of Brooklyn and buy some blueberry waffles and make them with some fresh blueberries. That's a big treat for me. I don't normally splurge like that, but I'm going to with some Beyond Meat breakfast sausage. I don't eat the, I don't eat actual pork. Haven't since 1991. I'm an old person. Anyway, um, and I'm going to collapse and probably knock it up again until tomorrow. Um, I might watch some Dynasty episodes. They're very funny. Some old 1980s Dynasty episodes because it's pure camp and, you know, something's got to keep me going. But thank you so much for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast and this project. This week has been absolutely uh, exhausting, but exciting. And boy, we're still not done with these returns. So thanks so much. Uh, I will be back. You'll get another new one on Monday. 
And then I have the, I just haven't cut it up yet. It's just the election kind of took over my life. The interview with Andy Campbell about his book about the Proud Boys, which should be coming up very soon because that's not going to take too much to put together. I just had to put it off because the election was going to take over my life, which it did. Again, thank you so much, Odin and Thor, my cats. The podcast mascots also send their love. Thank you so much for listening. 